Well, kia ora, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Coach's Corner podcast. Today, we're talking environments, and our guest is a legend of the game. She's won World Cups, FPC titles, and deservedly, she's been recognised as not just here in New Zealand, but the world as one of the greatest rugby players to have ever done it. We have Kendra Coxedge with us. Welcome in, Kendra. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, how you been? What's been happening? Oh, just adjusting to life outside of uh, out of rugby, well, out of retirement, out of playing, I guess. So just adjusting to retirement life. Yeah, and how's how's that been? Yeah, it's good. Still involved in the game, so I think that probably helped the transition out. Um, if I was gone and left the game completely, I reckon it'd be a bit harder. Yeah. Oh, well, it's awesome to see you still involved with rugby, and I know that, and we'll touch on it. Uh, throughout the conversation, I know that you're hugely passionate about the female game and the way that that's going. And I know last night we were just down at, or I wasn't there, but you were down there at Burnside Park um, seeing the future develop and grow, which is cool. But how did a girl from the Naki, who was a tap dancer, <laughs> find their way down to Canterbury and become one of our greatest Black Ferns to ever do it? What was your journey? Yeah, um, my journey for me, yeah, started as a four-year-old um played uh with the boys up in the in the Naki for what was then called Okato uh, Rugby Club. Uh it's now amalgamated with uh Rahutu, which has now become coastal. Um so yeah, used to do a bit of tap dancing with my twin sister. Um and I had so much energy and talked a lot that I annoyed the teacher, my sister and and my mum at these tap dancing classes. So um mum basically said you're not coming next time you're off with our family friends. Um and you're going to go hang out with them for the afternoon. And I was okay. Um, so went down to a rugby training, picked up a ball, and that was uh, where the love of the game kind of started. Uh, so that's where it started for me. Obviously played through the with the boys all the way through until high school. Uh, you know, I went to New Plymouth Girls High School, um, continued to to play there. I was lucky enough that the school had a, had a girls team. Um, we were very successful. Um, it was always between us and the rivalry. It was sacred heart up there. Um, but we had a, we had a pretty good side. Um, and then from there, went on, played uh, Taranaki Secondary School girls, and then and then Hur- um, Hurricane Secondary School girls, which was mostly uh, a, a paper team, but we had the odd the odd game in there, which was pretty cool. Um, and then I was approached by um, Dale Atkins when I was year thirteen, um, who was a Black Ferns coach at the time, and I was just playing school girls rugby, and he he lived in the Naki, so he used to come down and watch, and said, oh, you know, would love for you. To basically play in the the NBC, which is now the Fire Palmer Cup, um, and I just said, um, um, "Can can we kind of wait a year? I just want to finish school and, and enjoy my rugby um, with with my friends. Um, let's let's see what happens kind of next year." And he was he was pretty happy with that too. I think it's a pretty mature decision. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go and play for Manawatu, which was three hours drive there and three drive three hours back, which would have been hard in my last year of high school. So, um, yeah, I applied for a scholarship at Lincoln. Uh, cricket and a rugby one. Yeah, uh, was given a, a cricket one. So yeah. um, came down here, went to Lincoln, studied a bachelor of recreation management and sport, um, and then from from there played rugby uh, to cricket's disgust. I think they didn't really know what I was up to, <laughs> but I was playing rugby at the same time, um, and then made the New Zealand A cricket team and um, and the Blackburns uh, at the at the same kind of in the same year. So I had to, that was the first time I ever had to make a decision around what I wanted to do. So. Uh, chose to chose to chose rugby, obviously. Um, played the, for Canterbury. What mm. was the thought around that? Why NZA and then cricket, which probably could have been there, and then also 
rugby. Yeah, it wasn't an easy decision. It yeah. was it was tough at the time, and I mean the hard thing was for back then there's there's no real clear pathway of what it all looked like. You never knew when you're going to be playing games and cricket or rugby. And um, for me, it was like. I had played for the Central District Hines, the women's team from 15, from 15 years of age, and I was, what, 18, 19. So even though it doesn't seem too long, it felt like forever, and I felt like I'd given cricket kind of enough. And rugby was 80 minutes, cricket's basically six hours, you know, three hours on the field, three hours batting. So yeah. um, an 80-minute rugby game kind of won, won the decision-making. <laughs> so the time, the time was a big factor for you? <laughs> yeah, I reckon it was. Yeah. I've got an attention span of a goldfish, so... Um, <laughs> Um, no, I think that definitely um, definitely helped at that time. I was just, yeah, rugby seems to be the way. And even back then, like, I mean, it's obviously going crazy now, but it was it was on the up. Yeah. What was it like, like you mentioned um, being a schoolgirl, then the then Black Ferns head coach comes and approaches you to play FPC. You said that you didn't want to, you wanted to, just play with your friends and have fun. What was your initial like thought straight away of like, wow, that is that's some big that's big chops on the guy <laughs> or big chops on you, sorry, for yeah. the guy to come up to you and be like, Yeah, do you want to come up and play? Yeah. Yeah, and I remember it quite clearly. We're actually at um we're at Yarrow, Yarrow Stadium out the in the Nappy out the back on one of the fields and we just played um, Sacred Heart, and yeah, he just come up and said, "Oh, you know, what are you, what are you kind of thinking?" And I was like, and when he said he, he's Dale Atkins, and I kind of knew of him, obviously being from Anaki, and his daughter was at school with me as well. Um, but yeah, to, to hear that from a, a Blackburns coach at that time saying, "Hey, you know, we should get you to, you know, if you want to," and there was no pressure, and yeah. it was just, "Hey, like this is an option if you want to." Um, but for me, I just look back now, and I, I definitely don't regret that. You know, because I just it would just would have been a little bit harder trying to do all that travel, and it's not necessarily would have been me. It would have been my parents that would have had to yeah. drive me in. Well, I did have my license, but driving, you know, long distances and you know, kind of training and back wouldn't have been ideal. But it was, yeah, it was it was pretty cool to have that the coach come up to you, and then I kind of just then didn't really communicate a lot with them until I just went down to university, just played, made Canterbury, played obviously, um, played for Christchurch Rugby Club down here first, and then. Um, and then got chosen for Canterbury and then from there into into the Black Ferns. Yeah. And we had um Warwick Taylor was our backs coach back then too. So yeah. obviously uh Christchurch and, and Canterbury man. Um so yeah, he had kind of had conversations um throughout throughout the kind of club season and, and Canterbury season and then yeah, got yeah. the old call up. <laughs> yeah. And what a what an amazing journey. And then obviously now you're a proud um you see supporter as well and that in the club game and, and stuff like that from all those experience from when you've started you've probably been in some a number of environments and I guess this is probably our first time that we've talked to a player and albeit that you you have retired and stuff like that but it's still not too far hasn't been too far away since your retirement what has been the key thing for you when you go into teams around the environment like how do they set those up so that the best Kendrick can take the pitch for you yeah I think yeah, as you said I've probably experienced quite a lot through you know a lot of coaching coaches a lot of uh, different environments but it's almost like a, a feel eh? like a feel you get when you go into the environment and it's that that feeling of connection and sense of belonging um 
to the to the group it's the the fun it's the chanting it's the singing it's the dancing in the in the women's space it's probably heavily different to to the men's um but you know I've I've been in environments and most of my to be honest most of my career it's I mean I love every minute you know in yeah. a way and that's just because I love rugby and and I've probably been the, the the serious one in the group, and so I had to kind of loosen up a little bit over the years to to make sure I'm bringing that enjoyment and fun factor yeah. back into the back into the environment. Is that so, self reflection that part, or is that yeah. coaches and teammates being like, "Well, you no, can't, self, can you... complete self reflection." Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just there's probably an element in there. Probably a you know three or four years ago, where I was just you know I was black fans and I. I wanted to be the best. I didn't want to just be a black fan. I wanted to be a great one. So everything I did was real strict. And and that was fine. But at the same time, I think, I'm not going to say I fell out of love with the game, but I just, and I, I wasn't, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it because I did, but it was like, okay, you need to find a way here. I almost identified and self-reflected on it before it could have become, become not, yep. you know, falling out of love with the game. So kind of self-awareness there was was pretty good. Um, but at the same time, just had the had a bit more fun, but still did you know I was still pretty serious in the way that I trained and yeah. disciplined and, and what my week looked like. So, in that, what are some of the what are some of the things that really the environments that you've been in, or the teams that you've been a part, and you talked about uh, that kind of connection and belonging. What have been some of the things that coaches or the team have done to really set that tone or that standard, or to give you that feel? Yeah, and I've got like two examples that are quite like Black Ferns is very different from Canterbury, but I'd say for me, Canterbury's probably the best environment of of being in with the coaches that we've had in the environment. And that's because we theme we theme our season, um, which we've had like the Avengers, Lion King, Kill Bill, all these different movies. Um, and I think and it's not just half, like it's it's buy-in, it's driven by the leaders and the culture group as well as the coaches. And it's the buy-in from the coaches that you need um as well to be really connected, you know. Like I mean, I could say Blair won't mind me saying on it, but Blair Baxter, obviously, you know, he's there's a vulnerability piece of after you know winning a final and he's out he's out dressed up, um, you know, and whatever the theme was for the year and um, and there's a big piece even just um, times as well. There's been sometimes in Formatu we didn't know the theme, so it was like a surprise. But yeah. um, it's just that straight, that buy-in that you get and because of the way that it's run. And I know there's been a few questions throughout um, because we talked about a sense of belonging before yeah. and you've got to have a theme where you can capture, you know, you're probably 98%. You might have the odd one that's not, but you've got to find a way to bring them in and get them get them involved and get them to feel that, you know, that sense of belonging. And um, that's one thing that Canterbury, my Canterbury environments have done really, really well. Um, yeah. And I've loved it. Like, you know, it's as small as, um, you know, we had like for the Lion King, we got given like a little lion and you had to like keep it throughout the whole season. And we had like a call and you had to make sure you have it. And, um, you know, like our moves or our um, our backs moves and our mini teams all named around, um, around the theme. And, it just gets it almost just the last few years. It's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see what there's going to be this year because I feel like it just grows so much every year and the effort and behind it is huge. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's probably going to be um, a big change this year, right? Like obviously, BB's not in that in that space now, and and now we've got obviously got Jimmy Sinclair in that. But I know if I know anything, we both know Jimmy quite well. He's still probably going to bring that his own real flavour and sense because that's a real big part of him as a coach is around making sure that everybody's looked after and everybody feels connected and yeah I think with with Jimmy he's um 
he's he's a good thing about him and taking over the role is that like he knows the legacy he knows what's been you know what's been left there and I know that he'll want to but he'll add his own flavor to it too which I think as you said will be really exciting because it might be a slightly different theme yeah. or it might be slightly different how it's done and I think that's great because you you don't want to get to a point where it's like some people start going, oh, here comes another movie. You know, you've got to keep it fresh, um, even though it's going to be a different one each time. But I know that he'll have some good ideas. And to be honest, he's probably feeling a bit of heat, a bit of pressure, knowing yeah. that he has to uphold that legacy. Um, but I have no doubt that him and the group that he gets in will be um, real supportive of it. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a cool part in itself that around legacy. And so when you think about the Black Ferns environment and the and the women that had came that had come before you, big nature right like around that legacy and upholding it, and then all of a sudden now you've you've retired, you've passed that torch on. Is legacy a big thing for you around? Like you mentioned before, you wanted to be that great. You didn't just want to be a black fern; you wanted to be a great black fern, like every great athlete. And it's awesome to hear that. Is was that a big driver for you around leaving a legacy? Yeah, for me, it, that's probably what's been actually a real key key driver for me. Um, is you can't forget the you can't forget the past and the especially in the women's game, and it's probably the same as the men going back. It's just years and years ago around the ones that are really paved the way, um, and that did the hard graft for the team to be you know to where it is is now. And I do have concern for. Um, not the, the legacy and the past players going forward because the new ones coming in and the society and and the younger generation probably don't really acknowledge the that enough. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was, I was heavily driven around everything I did because it was built into me from the likes of Amidia Rule and, and Casey Robinson, um, those types of obviously Canterbury um, legends, uh, Melissa Roscoe, you know, yeah. all that stuff was built in into me. Um, and then I felt like I had to kind of carry that through and then now I've left the left the torch behind. Hope you know, like an Alana Bremner's one, yeah. a Grace Brooker's one that I feel will kind of continue that that legacy. And um, and that's probably a big part of my retirement is I felt comfortable that there was someone to take those reins. Um, I was also a bit of a standards and policy police. Um, <laughs> you know, like any shortcuts on the field or um, yeah. leaving before the the whistle at fitness and stuff. I'm I'm pulling people up left, right, and centre. But now I feel happy that I've. I've left it in a better place. Yeah, that's and that's pretty cool to hear. And I know that we've had these conversations now that that's there still burns inside of you. <laughs> now when you go into doing fitness classes and stuff like that, and you're like, these people are doing it properly, <laughs> and it's just so yeah. ingrained in me, and which is really cool. But um, so what's also really awesome is you're like that hot or not? I don't want to say hybrid, but almost that between. Like you're you've been there when it's been 100 percent amateur. And we've had conversation in the office around, and then you got to do it full time for the first time. Like, what was that? The environment from there, when it was fully amateur, the environment when it's like fully professional. Like, yeah, was it a glaring difference, or was it? Yeah, it's it's, it's changing, and it was always it was always going to happen. And I know like the men went through the same when they went from amateur to professional. And I'm just stoked as well that I got to experience both. And yeah. like I talked about, obviously having my job to kind of fall back into and still being involved in the game. And I think that how awesome it was that I almost got to work and, and play and train. Like it was hard. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It was tough at the time and going full time is so much better. But now I just, my life after rugby was is set, you know, so it was easy to kind of fall out and get back into, into my job. But um, 
the yeah, there's a lot of um, and there's a lot of risk around this. It's not too bad at the moment, but there's a lot of um, handouts rather yeah. than hand up. Um, and and I think it's not just and it, and it is professional to amateur to professional, but at the same time, it's probably the generation that's kind of coming through. So, um, there has been a, a massive flick of of the switch, and someone that's probably been around a long time probably I did struggle a little bit with how things were were done, but at the same time, I've got a growth mindset, so I had to understand that things and the environment were going to be a little bit different and probably a little bit more precious. The plaza are probably a little bit more precious <laughs> these days, but at the same time, I know how hard majority of them work as well and now it's full time they get to do it every single day um you know but it's small things even just you know getting girls to come down to a training session with the community you know and they're kind of oh you know what's the pay you know getting paid for it and I'm like no like give it back to the community but um and it's just the precedence that it's set now you know because I think the biggest thing is that that happens in the in the male space so you kind of gotta you gotta be equal there but as much as um the more the girls can kind of give back to the community, it's more satisfying too, I reckon, as, yeah. a, as a player. Um, you know, when I'm in the office and my work, because it's heavily office-based, I just love getting back out on the grass because it gives you that energy and you kind of think back of why you love, you know, why you love rugby and why you, I love my job. But, um, yeah, there's definitely been a big a big switch um, flipped and I'm just real interested because that's, I mean, last year was the first time I went full-time professional, but we've probably been, it's probably been a three or four, probably three years where it's been really, challenging and being a leader and trying to navigate through yeah. through that um but I just you know they've got some good good people in in this space and especially here in Canterbury um to be able to help kind of get through that but. and so what would you what would you suggest so this podcast is a lot for for our coaches listening in and obviously we have some players that listen in as well but it's largely around coaches so what are some suggestions you could make besides we've talked around theming is one thing to create a connection and belonging within the group if what can coaches do to look at or what could they do to look at really try and enhance your environment to make it fitting for, for the players and maybe I might even be more specific as that what can they a lot of our coaches, right, are probably coming from that we're seeing coming from the male game mm-hmm. into the female game. What can they do to go to actually make their environment fit for purpose for the females? Because I'm imagining that that two separate yeah. environments. Yeah, I mean, it's probably two two pieces to that. And one is um, that I, I do get asked a lot, like, what's the difference between coaching males and females? Um, and I'm real hot on being like, you know, the sport's the sport, so it's the same. Yeah. So rugby is rugby, you still got to tackle. It's exactly the same game in the in the four white lines. Um, but the biggest thing is how you deliver, how you deliver as a coach, yeah. what, what you um, – and understanding that girls always ask why. Um, yeah. And at the same time, sponges would do exactly what you kind of told. You know, if you say, go and, you know, example, and I hope this doesn't happen, but uh, run around the post. <laughs> um, but, you know, the girls will go do that, whereas the boys will might do a bit of a zigzag and muck around before go, you know, and like, yeah. that's right. And then the girls will be like, why are we doing that? You know, and I know they went, Smithy, come on board. That's one thing he really battled with um, yeah. was a lot of the, the why questions. Um, but in terms of um, creating that good environment and, like I know it sounds bizarre but having fun like I know it's like oh you kind of hit you know the coach probably listening and going oh yeah you know but I think you know we probably try and make some of our players black ferns and all blacks too too early and too soon um you know like I'm hearing that at an under eight's training the other week they were doing a bronco um you know that's (laughs) mind-boggling so 
I think it's they don't need to be doing that. All you need to be doing is game bash learning and and having fun with the with the kids. And it's um, you know, it's chance. It's having a team song. It's yeah. all that kind of stuff. And even after the game, getting back into changing room and and having a sing along with the team, win or lose, you know, it's another question I've been asked. How do you pick yourself up after a loss? But if you got your environment right. Um, it should actually be all right because it should be on how how you're going to get better more than dwelling on the on the loss. But um, it's yeah, just those small things, eh? That just that just make it. And I um, was talking to someone here the other day, and they said they're coaching a, an under tens, and they did some values. They did a value session, so yeah. they've written down these all these values, and one of them that popped out was bravery. Um, and the cool thing for this coach is he actually heard them use that in um, on the field when they're under the pump. That's so they're under the pump in a game and one of the kids going, well, you know, we're, we've got to be brave. We've got to show some bravery here. We've got to tackle hard. We've got to be better at rocks, you know, like, yeah. and that's, as a coach, if you hear that, you know, that's, that's awesome. So um, the biggest thing is that, that, that sense of belonging and, and feeling part of something that's probably bigger than just the game. Yeah. We recently talked to Damien Hughes um, from the high performance podcast and he, he talked, we talked around culture for him and I guess culture and environments kind of are one and the same, but I feel like they're a little bit different because culture is probably something that a coach helps facilitate and set. And then the environment is how people learn, how people interact yeah. with, with each other and yeah. how does the, the coach and players interact. And he was talking around the cultures that there's five different types of cultures talked around the star, a star culture, which is kind of when you just start buying in, the best possible players that you can get in and and try and play that and it's like well, there's a the reward on that is that it can be great but the risk of that is that it can be the last of blows as well because all of a sudden you've got all these superstars fighting for the yeah. for the title or whatever then he talked about the bureaucracy so things that have just laid with rules after rules mm-hmm. after rules and then he talked about the autocratic type of culture and that's the I'm going to tell you what what you're going to do and you're going to have to listen to what I have to say and you're going to have to go do it yeah um which is probably a lot of stuff that what we see out in the community in our junior grades um with some of our coaches then there's like the engineering culture and that's more around um probably the coach losing their integrity so if a player steps out of side there um outside of the team values or the whatever the the rules were within that and say they are a great player but then you're like all right well you should be stood down but actually we need to win this weekend and we're not going to win without you so we're just going to select you and you're just yeah. like Ooh. all of a sudden everybody's looking at that coach going, yeah what are you doing here and then but the fifth one he talked about is the commitment culture yeah and this was after a big study that they did and they found out that but out of those five types of culture, the commitment culture is the one that you see the most success and longevity and yeah. and all that type of stuff. And so kind of hearing um, that stuff around connection and belonging more is that everybody seems to be committed to stuff. Yeah. Can you think of like any times where you just know that that's deep down? Like I know that like last year you guys had that Kill Bill thing. Yeah. Would you say that there was a, you guys were fully bought into it. Yeah. So but to be honest, in terms of like this one, I mean, it came up and does link back into that, obviously a theming piece, but I, I could, last year when we got told that we were having Kill Bill, Yeah, I was like to BB, what the heck is this? Like, what are we <laughs> doing? How the heck does this even relate? Like yeah. some of the stuff in the movie is like horrific, yeah. you know? And um, 
and it's real random. Like I don't know if you, you know, some of you um, listeners might have might have seen it, but um, I was like, how the heck does this relate to week in week out? But what we did was um, because obviously it was about getting our baby back because in Kill Bill she gets her baby taken off her and she's um, it's about the black mamba. It's about getting getting the baby back and that was the fire pump cup because yeah. we had lost her the lost it the year before. So. Um, each week it was more based around the mentality. So each week we had a mantra around the mentality that we're going to take into the game to yeah. get our baby back. But yeah, the, and then straight away, because I was like, literally like, I wasn't even bought into it. I was like, and I was like, you're going to, at the same time, being a leader, yeah, you've got to find a way. Like it's probably a bit different when you're a leader. You just got to work with it, go with it, because you're the one that's going to be seen leading it. People see that. So, um, but then all of a sudden, throughout, once I was getting to understand it more, I watched the movie. I, even after I watched the movie, I was like, nah, this is still no good. <laughs> um, but the way that, and Blair was confident as, like, he was like, you just need to let it play out. And then um, from there, because some girls had seen it and they were thinking the same too, but straight away, as soon as we got an idea of what it was going to look like week in, week out, it, straight away, everyone just got fully ingrained and fully committed to it and, you know, and then we had a we get a did a player of the day card by Miles Soda and whoever gets player of the day and like all she shares this vehicle on the movie called the Pussy Wagon. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just so bizarre. Like, um, and then the person got that and then straight no, the commitment level just went through the roof. Yeah. And I think it's more so because we started off the very first time we did a theme was probably when we were successful winning the Fire Palmer Cup for the first time. Yeah. Um, and I just look back and I'm going, oh, my God, we've gone from, like, this small little wee thing to, like, now this every year it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And each year when players come back, they're excited about it. There's more effort put in it. So you're straight away walking in and being like, what's the thing going to be this year? Like, you've already got that sense of commitment yeah. within within that. So, I think, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd probably agree with that because it's not just commitment with that, it's commitment in everything you're doing within the environment on and off the field, um, which I think is, is massive. And there's a big piece in there too around having a player-driven and environment. Yeah. Like I know um, as, you know, an experience, some coaches where you talked a little bit around that that dictatorship kind of mindset of I'm going to, we're going to do it this way and this is how it's done if you're not happy to see you later kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the piece around integrity is so much, and I know it's really hard to get right as a coach. Um, but the the player driven piece now is is huge, and you've got to use the leaders, you've got to use the people that are experienced players. And I know it's even harder at that, those junior age groups, but um, definitely in that that teenage yeah. space up now, it can probably be a bit more player driven and use them and get them to understand what you're trying to do. And because um, as soon as you get player buy in, it's going to make your yeah. your life so much easier as a coach. So, so what could it because for some coaches that might be quite daunting, right? To give the reins, the yep. reins over, and we've talked about this um, a couple of times. Like, especially you look at—I know New Zealand's different, but you look at the USA and a lot of those coaches in those kind of collegiate sports—they're getting paid like serious money. Mm. But to give reins over to the players and going, actually, if this doesn't work out, I'm losing my jobs. These kids are still going to have their scholarships and yeah. still be able yeah. to go into the NFL or whatever. But I'm going. Lose my job, and again in New Zealand, it's probably the same as us. That uh, some of the coaches could be feeling that imposter syndrome of like, "Geez, I don't belong here." Yeah. But if I give the power to the players, they're going to be like, "Well, he definitely doesn't belong. He doesn't know what he's because yeah. knowledge." People may say knowledge is power. Yeah. But like, how could you? What could a coach do to try and maybe 
teeter more towards that player. Yeah, it's and it's I mean, yeah, it, it'll be difficult for some. Like if you've coached all your career and and then you're the one that has to be the have the growth mindset to make change because of the way things are yeah. panning out. But I think and it for me it reflects back to your environment and that there's that trust piece. Like if you've got that trust piece within your player, and it doesn't mean you have to give over all the power and give over all the reins. It's just any conversations you're having include players because at the end of the day, we're the ones out there. Well, they are because I'm retired now, but yeah. they're the ones out there, um <laughs> they're the ones out there that are that are on the field doing it in in, in the moment every single time. Whereas if you've got a coach that's always leading and doing stuff, you never learn the pressures, you never learn um, as you go, you're kind of just going, oh, you know, and you end up being quite structured in, in what you're doing. But um, I think it's, yeah, if you've got trust with, within the group, um, it's probably going to be a bit easier to to be able to do that. And there's probably some teams, and completely understandable, that you can't do it with, Yeah, you know, like, and that's that's okay. Um, but definitely if you can share share what you're, what you're doing at training or, um, how, what your game plan is. If you start, that's an easy way to probably ease into it. Is start there, yeah. Um, and then have a, and it doesn't even have to be a leadership group. It could just be a group of players that you know your, your quality ones, or might not even have to be your best ones, but ones that show really good leadership qualities that you know you're gonna you're gonna sit down with. And you know, I've been lucky enough of my brains have been picked, you know, for the last four or five years in, in Canterbury and Blackburns. I sit down with coaches all the time, and yeah. this is how we're gonna play. What do you think? And I'm going, oh. You know what? I think this is this will be a good way. You know, there's always those conversations, and that's sort honestly where it starts. And then straight away, and then you start you start seeing the the success. Like if your environment's good and that's and it's player driven, and then you'll start seeing the success coming. And it might not be in terms of points on the scoreboard, but in terms of what you're doing on the field and what yeah. you're trying to achieve. It's not always outcome focused; it's process focused. But um, I reckon that's where you could start is just those conversations yeah. with some players. So yeah. that, that's awesome. And it's awesome to hear you kind of say like around it being not just fully success focused, but you can see success coming. Mm. I think that's a really cool, cool way um, to really frame up like how to have those conversations. I mean, like, Hey, look, what we, we know that we've got a pretty good team together. Where do you think, just where do you think we can get success from? What can we do as coaches to get success yeah. out of the group? Because yeah. we've got a talented group and stuff like that. And yeah. so I think a question, what you're saying, a question like there is get that from players and then you can create, all right, this is what you've said to us and this is the process that we think is going to help us to get to where you guys think that. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of like you've given us the answer and now we're, Yep. We'll create the formula and so formula. if we stick to that then. And as a coach, like there might be times where a player comes to you and uh, or you've asked a player a question and it's like around your game plan and you're thinking, Oh, not quite sure. You still listen. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing, it's being able to listen and hear from the players. Then going away and saying, Cool, thanks for that. We'll work on it. But at the end of the day, like I don't know how many times me and Tony Christie probably butted heads on bits and pieces but I said to me in a day mate you're the coach yeah you're the coach and if that's what you want then we'll do it and if you can see that but I'm probably going to come at you if it doesn't work yeah you yeah. know like it's just having that honest and uh, honest conversation well, and trust but accountability isn't it yeah, right? yeah so he'll probably have that and same accountability that. on you and going like well yeah it did work and yeah. you, you probably take that on the chin same way that he'd probably take it on the chin and be like Tony, what we up to? Yeah, and that, yeah. and that's right. That ownership. But like, I can remember a time actually um, for FBC, we're out in Napunawai training, and um, Tony TC went out there, and what he had in his head was really different to what happened on the grass. Like he had this idea, 
and ate because he just went into the training and it was something to do with like our edge attack. Um, and it didn't, it was, the girls were all over the show. Everyone was asking questions. He was under the pump. And then what happened is he goes, he brought us in, he goes, girls, I've stuffed up. That was way better in my mind than what it was on the grass. Scrap that. Um, we'll look at, I'll go back to the drawing board and I'll come back to you. But the first, the main thing that he did is he pulled it in and he said, I stuffed up. Yeah. You know, like for us as players, it's like, all oh, good. And I know because, man, he was so pissed off at himself like the whole time and the whole night and I'd keep going past him like, pick your lip up, let's go like, <laughs> you know, because he was so gutted that he had yeah. done that. But, and then I rang him the next day and I was like, you've got to let it go. Like, it's honestly all good. The girls are good. The main thing you did is you owned it. Yeah. You owned it and you see just stuff up. If you just kind of played it off and go, oh, I'm the man and that's yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it would have been like, I would have been at him afterwards being like, what the heck was that about? That was a shambles. But the fact that he owned it, it kind of put it to bed. Um, and that that's, that's I think that was huge as you, that vulnerability piece was, yeah. was massive. That's, that's cool. What's also um, kind of the big thing that kind of want to have a chat to you about as well is that um, around environments, what was the difference between that World Cup winning environment that you had um, and what a awesome way to showcase women's rugby as well here at home with, with what you guys did, so congratulations on that, mm-hmm. versus kind of the months leading up to that like, what was, for you, what were some of the key things that were just like, this just isn't quite working where you guys think it's could yeah. be working? Yeah, I think, um, like, you touched on it probably a bit before. So 2021, we, COVID, obviously, COVID, we were hit with COVID, 2020, 2021. Didn't have a lot of games. We went on India tour. We got thumped by France twice, by England twice. Something that's probably never really happened to the Black Ferns. Um, but I would say on that India tour, we had a lot of adversity we had to kind of go through as a team. Um, and then having COVID, we couldn't really leave the hotel and stuff. It was it was pretty tough. But at the same time, we we couldn't just put what we were trying to do out on the field. It was bizarre because each game we were going and feeling like good, but we just the other teams with you know France and England were just a level above, and we just weren't at where we should have been. But in terms of the culture of the group with the girls, it was really tight and it was yeah. really good because what we were going through, and then. But then you just you mentioned before about the culture and then the environment being different. Whereas to me, the environment probably wasn't the greatest. Yeah. Um, so we've come off that um and then we've had to go through a review with New Zealand rugby, um, which was a tough time. And as a leader, um, you kind of go through that stuff and it, it, like that Christmas and that summer and that New Year's was horrific, 2021 into 2022, because we just had to drive heaps of stuff and there's a lot going on with the review and, you know, there were some of the, the leaders we wanted change. And when I say change, it wasn't getting necessarily getting rid of the coach. It was we needed to change some form of change in the environment because it was almost not stale, but there was things that just weren't going very good. Um and at the same time, in our minds, it's going, okay, we need to sort this out ASAP because we've got seven months till this World Cup at home, you know. So um, the biggest thing we kind of did is really pushed for that change in the environment, yep. which came, uh, and it wasn't easy. So we had to work hard with New Zealand rugby around wanting that. And then um, and then having someone like Wayne Smith come on, Alan Bunting, um, was, 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 was huge in a way. So um, we've... We had to re sit down and reassess like our, our purpose and values as a group too. So that kind of helped us in our vision of where we wanted to go, which I think was was massive. Is revisiting that what we're about, 
Um, and we've got a World Cup at home. We talked a little bit around having a World Cup at home and the pressures that come with it and trying to tell the girls to embrace that. And we talk about pressure as privilege as a privilege and all that kind of stuff. But um, our biggest one that we kind of changed is, and it probably, we already had the knack for it, but it was more around just Alan Bunting coming in and, and kind of almost chucking it on us around the vulnerability, being courageous and being able to express yourself. Like if you could express yourself off the field, you can express yourself on the so field. So what, what does that mean, express yourself? Yeah, so it's about being able to go and because everyone in the team is good enough to be there. So yeah. it's being able to go out there and play free, play free, play free, free rugby as an individual um, with and constraints a little bit of what we were trying to do. Um, but like, you know, someone like Ruahe Damont, um, you know, a team that's, that's better with no structure. So she just, she flourished last year because she could just play her style of footy and she had the confidence to do crossfield kicks. She had confidence with grubbers in behind. She had confidence to run, yeah. you know, and that wasn't just her. It ended up being everyone. So once that started happening, but it started off the field. So yeah. it was heavily driven around that. Like we had to build like a individually, like a tifari type of far. So you had to kind of go away and, um, work out and have it, you know, about your background, your upbringing, um, what you your routines are and, and you had the opportunity and then Bunce would come up to you and it could be last minute. So that's where the vulnerability piece goes. Yeah. goes Kendra, you're, you're presenting today. But first of all, you go, are you ready? And I go, yep, I've had it ready for weeks. Yeah. You're ready to go in front of the group. And I'm like, yeah. So you get up and you're, you're presenting to your teammates around some stuff. And like there's, there's stuff in there that I didn't even know about my own teammates that I've been playing with for five or six years around them losing their dad when they were young and what they yeah. were going through when they're growing up. Like that kind of piece was was huge. And then straight away you just start to form that that connection. It's actually, it was actually unbelievable how it panned out because, I mean, yeah, as coaches listening, you might go, oh, you know, kind of that's not, we don't have time for that or it's a little bit like, oh, you know, whatever, um, but soft kind of approach. Yeah. But it really worked for us and, um, and then you know, like even Bunce's first meeting with us, he got up and he he yodeled and he did it, or and he did a rap as well. Like as, as randomly at a meeting, he'll just do something real random. You're kind of like, what the heck? But then you'd laugh, and then you'd kind of. But that was showing vulnerability. So if your management and leadership and that can and coaches can show that vulnerability, then the connection. Yeah. I couldn't believe how fast everything kind of come together. So was something like that not done in previous campaigns? Not not to that extent. Like yeah. we had, we actually did a little bit of it leading into, it wasn't on yourselves, but leading into 2017 World Cup, we did a little bit around past players. So you had to like draw up a picture of a past player and work out their strengths and, and what they did and who they were, which kind of connected us and with that legacy piece. But this was more around yourself and like one it's already hard to get up and talk about yourself right yeah even if there's two or three of you but when you're getting up in front of a whole team with all the management with everyone in the room we had some news on rugby staff there at times as well um it was it was huge like you know there's a few guys that got up then you look around the room and there was no like no dry eye in the room um and straight away so you just start to understand that adversity piece and, and connect and and then it led into into trainings around like if you could be vulnerable and express yourself like that off that you've gone to trainings and you know you're making mistakes and the girls are walking past saying it's all good kind of thing whereas in the past it might have been like why'd you drop that or you yeah, know yeah, like, yeah. that's not good enough whereas there's never that's not good enough coming from each other it's sometimes you'd you know Graham Henry so Graham Henry Ted would come up and give us a TED talk around that wasn't good enough but you know that's that was his kind of role within the environment but um but that, I just couldn't believe how how quickly it kind of turned around and then everyone just says that we just look like we were having fun out there and it just looked like we we're just playing free rugby. Like I could tell you now, we had no game plan. <laughs> yeah, was it fun? 
It was so much fun. Yeah. And that was it. Like I um and that was even for me as my my last year was I just wanted to enjoy every moment. Like down here in Canterbury, hundred games at Rugby Park on in the final. Like every moment I just wanted to soak up, you know, the walking out what's well, the training, the last training and yeah. on the Thursday, the walking out with the group, the singing the anthems, embracing the crowd. And I think like even just when we're walking in, I've looked at the obviously the watch the final a couple of times. Should be watching a few more times when I get to emotional. Was it the final? or Was it like because we're here at Rugby Park? Yeah. Was it that trying that corner? Yeah, down the side from <laughs> yeah. the scrub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was bizarre intercept. But um, I just think, and then I think about we flick into into Blackburn, and I looked at the final there, and everyone in the in the um, we were about to walk out to sing the anthem, and there was like everyone was smiling, like everyone was smiling, everyone was walking around like embracing the crowd you know usually it's just in the past can be so like and even in the men's game so like serious and so so you know kind of like you know too too serious um but it was actually the whole time I just had so much fun and that's it's, it's crazy because people go why are we why are we so successful and I said generally around the courage and expressing yourself yeah. uh, on the field because of the environment and culture we had off it but the biggest thing is that we just had fun in everything we did yeah. Yeah. expressing yourself on the field's cool, and it's awesome to hear you talk about how much fun you guys had playing the game, and it looked, and as a spectator, it looked fun. It also looked freaking nerve wracking. Like it, <laughs> I don't know what it was like for you guys on the field, but it was freaking nerve wracking for us there. Like watching watching girls do do your amazing stuff, like that French semi final, and you're yeah. like, geez, and then Kick obviously, and, yeah. yeah, and then the what is it, the quick tap that oh, you, yeah. that you did is like way you go, and you're like what is she doing a quick tap in the 22 for? Like, what are you guys up to? But like, it's, it, from the outside looking in, you're like, and if you think of the way that we think rugby has predominantly been played, it's like, you're in 22, you're going to kick it. But you're like, you guys were like, no, we're going to tap and tap and run. And it was awesome to hear that you guys just had some, so much fun on the field as well as, yeah. as off it. But expressing yourself off the field, what was the, openness to like if things weren't how you guys felt did you guys have that voice to be able to to speak up and be like hey smidge shit's not working out yeah yeah so there was there was an element to that like so this is a real hard piece yeah i reckon and we talk um and there's a lot of chats around um speaking to the campfire um and we push that really hard within our environment um and we we were, I wouldn't say we nailed that because that's not easy, especially yeah. if you're going to tell Wayne Smith, <laughs> <laughs> the, the professor, that things aren't going good, which yeah. happened a few times. But um, he's obviously in terms of on the field stuff, but that off field stuff was um, we had to challenge him a couple of times around the music and the dancing. So he he tried to say to us we weren't starting well because of the music and the dancing and the selfies in the change room before the game, <laughs> but we had to kind of push back and say no, Smitty, this is part of the 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 black friends are part of the women's game and this is how literally just because they're singing and dancing doesn't mean they're not going to be on yeah. at the time the, the whistle blows. Um so he came at us all the way through from our very first game to basically the World Cup final <laughs> about the music we had to keep saying back off now because that's not that's not kind of the reason. So um you know I think that, that speaking to the campfire and having open honest conversations with with each other, we got there probably a bit with with the girls, like yeah. as a, just the girls, but trying to bring it in and being able to have that with the management's never easy because you start thinking about selection and if you say something, is it going to? So it is really hard. But 
I think we did pretty good to get to where we were as a as a side. Like if someone was annoying you and pressing you off, they're having the ability to have those conversations. Yeah. Um. So I think that's something that the the platforms um, would would really probably going to grow on. Um. But in terms of Canterbury, I reckon we're we're pretty good in that space, and that's just from that safe safe environment and how it's built. Like I oh, did so many times, I've gone straight to you know TC and Blair and. You know, at the end of the day, if they're not happy and they they drop you because of it, then so be it. But unless you, um, my mindset was as long as I'm putting the team first, then I know that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. So, um, that I think there's so many times in there that we could be open and honest with with each other, the girls and the management. More. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's that's cool to hear, and I think that's cool. Um, cool we we part to kind of finish on, but we've also got our, our quick fire segment. So. Uh, first question is: You're inviting three people to dinner. Ooh. Who are they, and uh, what are you cooking? Um, far out. You're going to give me the heads up on this because it's great. Um, Simone Biles. Oh yeah, yeah, because I think she's a freak. Um, I think I'd have to, and I know as he did quite well, but just because he's a clown, going <laughs> down there would be quite cool. Um, and you know what? I absolutely love Celine Dion. Oh yeah, it's a real random group, eh? But so you, so um, that's got... just all my free like favorite, you know, like or two. Not so much as he just having them because of the clown, but um, no, but I love Celine Dion uh, yeah. in terms of her music, and I'd love to meet her. Uh-huh. Um, favorite Celine Dion song? Uh, it's all coming back to me. Oh. My heart will go on. Yeah. <laughs> all of them, love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be cooking. Maybe if I went, usually like I love I love a barbecue, but it's almost easy. Maybe like a Thai green curry. Oh yeah, is always good with a um, with a naan, um, or just yeah, another barbecue with the good some good steak and nice salads with some new potatoes with some mint and butter. You know that kind of approach. No, that, that's awesome. The Simone Biles <laughs> one doesn't um, surprise me. Like, I'll be taller than you too. That's generally. Oh, that would be that'd be good chat actually. But like how courageous she was to like pull out of. Like her events because of like kind of her mental well-being yeah. and, and all and that. And also what she went through as yeah. a younger gymnast. So. Yeah. So yeah. that is awesome. Uh what's one of your favorite personal sporting memories? I know that you've got heaps, but there must be um, like... far up. Um that's a that's good. Obviously, you know, winning World Cups and stuff, it's a team a team game, so anything like that's really cool. But Personal one. Um, to be honest, it would have been out here at Rainview Park. It was in the final against Auckland a few years ago, and I did a drop kick from the base of the of the ruck um, oh. to get us without within um, out of, you know out of seven points. Yeah. Um, so we got I think it was thirty twenty, um, but it was twenty seven twenty. So yeah. just nothing, nothing that over from kind of like maybe by the fifteen ish. Yeah. Um, not really much of an angle. We had a period advantage, so just had the confidence to have a crack and got yeah. it over and took it to thirty twenty. No, that's awesome. Who's a coach, mentor, or teacher that's had a positive impact on you? I know it's probably hard to pick one, but yeah, I um, it is really hard to pick to pick one. Like my, you know, I could go back to when I first started. You know, my my coach is there, Terry, Terry Corbett. You know, like he. I was there playing with the boys and he he gave me a lot of attention and wanted me to 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 continue to play and always helped me out, you know, and that's probably where the love of the game started, yeah. right? So I kind of give him the praise for allowing me and not just him, there's a few others too that 
allowed me to do what I could do and, and then they worked out that I was actually pretty good. So um getting me in their team. Um and then probably through the the latter years, definitely here in Canterbury with you know Whitney Hanson, Tony Christie and Blair Baxter, they almost come as a trio. So yeah. um those three have, have been good and you know Tony's only only a young guy but the the conversations that we could have was was awesome. Um and he's it's huge you've got a you know he's innovative and got a good mindset and then it's the environment and culture that that BB kind of kind of leads um and then in terms of like rugby it'll definitely be Wayne Smith yeah. like just in terms of his his detail man is next level um but you know you'll rock into his room um where the meetings in there and he'd have like all these post-it notes on the wall but and it have so much detail but he wouldn't ever show the team it'd only be the old person that went to his room for meetings because we yeah. had like leadership meetings in there um but he'd just kind of make it so simple when you're out on the grass yeah um which is a quality of a really good coach so definitely him in terms of allowing me to to bring my running game back in and um i think would be would be a big one that's that's awesome some really great coaches there what's one bit of advice you'd give a young ken starting out on on his journey all over again um definitely like when you get an opportunity you got to take it yeah. Um, because it might only kind of come once. So that's probably the biggest one. And then you've just got to really enjoy what you're doing. Like if you're not enjoying it, you probably have to start asking yourself, is this what I want to do? Because sport is about play, having fun. Like I I mean, I'm hugely competitive. For yeah. Me. <laughs> I, I would I say that first, but I'm heavily want to win. Like <laughs> um, you know, but when you're younger, you should just want to enjoy it and have and have fun. But I was heavily led by just wanting to be the best and wanting to win as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. You've been uh, you've been dabbling in a little bit of coaching in the last kind of wee while. What's your go-to activity if you get the get the call up to go downstairs and raise an easier to run a session with the with the lads? What what would you be making them do? Oh, that's a good. That's a great question. Um, well, I think I mean I love going. I love taking the backs for like kicking stuff. Um. But I feel like that'd be great kickers. Um, probably I always like I always like games. So like I'm like a two touch kind of. You know, you get touched the first time, you got to offload. Um, your second one, you got to go down, making sure you obviously you're flipping or your shrimp is spot on. Um, probably more so into a game. Um, yeah. Enough. I was going in there part time. You want to make sure you have a bit of fun. Um, but he really massive in the in the women and girls spaces more so around like squaring up. So doing drills that yeah yeah the L drill around squaring up and um but I also you know you got to do some skills and drills but I think you can learn a lot from actually yeah. playing games to be honest. No that's that's cool. Yeah. Um and I guess probably you've talked mentioned it a wee bit um around being a leader. So what does being a leader mean to you? Um there's probably lead you gotta lead by example. Yeah, that's just in everything you do on and off the field. Um, that's massive for me. You got to have um, probably empathy, um, so understanding, and and showing showing people that soft side when we need me, which is something that's been a big work on for me because I've been pretty ruthless in the past because I just had one mindset and that was winning, but understanding that too. Um, but that's probably the big one is you've got everything you do is just leading leading by example. Um, and because someone's always watching, especially yeah. the young ones. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, just want to say thank you, Kenj, for um, 
jumping on today and being so open with us. It's it's awesome to kind of hear the point of view of of a player around um, how important it is to set up an environment and you've given our coaches some some wicked insight into some of the amazing environments that you've been a part of that kind of help them become so successful um, and it's no wonder that you're being so successful with the kind of hearing around your drive and passion for the game you're an inspiration to not just the the future black ferns but but also the future um all blacks and and obviously everybody else that's involved with rugby so um keep on doing the awesome work i know that we've talked about it around being doing half being part-time rugby player and a part-time um part-time employer or working on the thing on the tools and now you've kind of turned that turn that page um, of that playing and I just know that you're just going to be probably the best person to be pushing women's rugby forward so it's awesome to have an advocate like yourself on on today so oh, for sure thanks yeah. for having me too easy uh-huh. cool see you later what a wicked insight from one of the legends of our game Kendra today so um just some of the things that I've just picked up from having that awesome conversation with her was just around um how they as she talks around the culture that they had um, within the Black Ferns was really good, but sometimes the environment just wasn't there and that it just came down to talking to the players and asking, kind of getting their feedback around what they want and what they need and how everything for her was focused around fun and that at times she felt like she started losing, when she was talking about she was starting to kind of lose that passion um, or the enjoyment for the game because of the the processes that she was going through and that when she stripped it all back, she was having having fun. I think we can all probably look back to the Women's World Cup and and all that type of stuff, and you can kind of see the way that um, those amazing ladies were playing. They were playing some really creative, enjoyable rugby. They're taking quick quick taps they're running it from the 22 it looked really expressive and that was a cool point that Kenj made is that they were given the license to express themselves on the field and the examples that she put around it were, were great as well and so it was also awesome to that she was able to give give you some some insights and some ideas to go back to your uh, your teams with and and try and create because yeah I'm a big believer that and even Kenj talked about as well is like you can create a really awesome culture and she talked around the culture between the girls are really tight but the environment just isn't right and by environment I mean the way that they learn the way that they can express themselves all that type of stuff so you can have a really cool culture and you can do that through theming or however you want, but then there has to be a level of buy-in and that's through the environment that you create. So are you creating an environment that really allows people to kind of be who they are, to speak up, to express themselves on the field, or are you hindering their ability by kind of shutting them down or or not asking them questions? And so, um, yeah, I really would... um, yeah, I highly recommend coaches if you're listening to to this, just really explore that with your players. Ask some questions. Be curious around that. 
um, and just, yeah, really just consider what they're thinking, whether they're enjoying it and you can get a gauge for it really quickly. So um, you can see the smiles on the face that they've come up to you. And I think Wayne Smith talked about it um, in a podcast when Ali Williams, he shared that story around Ali Williams and he said, Smitty, I think that's the best thing you've, you've done um, when they did that, that tackle, that training session. And so, yeah, really, um, really lean into that a little bit more. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you're enjoying the other episodes. Um, again, we'd love to keep growing the show. We've got some awesome, awesome guests coming up um, in the near future. So uh, if you're enjoying these, please share them um to your friends and and other coaches and um please would love to uh receive some feedback so if you can drop that into wherever you're listening to um just so that we can ensure that you guys are that are listening in are getting the best um education we can give you through this through this format